Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this week I want to answer another question. Again, if you have any questions, you can always email them to me, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. And this one comes from Bob Sassone. Hope that's the way he pronounces his name. And he says, what TV episodes do you think are perfect in every way, especially the writing? And then he goes on to say, this could probably be an entire podcast. And you know what? Yeah, it's going to be this week. That's what I'm going to discuss. Uh, the shows, the episodes of shows that I feel are perfect or near perfect. And I have to start out by saying, you know, in two weeks, I'm going to remember 15 other shows that should have been included that are more worthy of the ones that I have included. So uh, let me just say that uh, the list of shows I'm going to give you are kind of off the top of my head, and uh, they're certainly not complete. And in a number of cases, I don't remember the actual episode title, but these days it's so easy to look up. But this might be uh, an interesting episode if you do want to keep track of some of these things. Um, Maybe you've seen a number of these episodes, and maybe some of them you haven't. And, uh, you know, we're still in the pandemic, aren't we? I think so. So, you know, it'll give you something to watch. I'm sure just about all of these are available somewhere uh, to screen. So that's what we're going to do this week on Hollywood and Levine. Let me start off with pilots, because pilots in particular are so very hard to do. You have to set up your premise, you have to introduce your characters, you have to set the tone of the show, you have to begin a story, you have to be funny, especially if it's a comedy, and uh, you have to end up giving the audience a sense of where the show might be going so that they might want to keep coming back for more. Boy, that is a tall, tall order. And to have that be done seamlessly is pretty much a miracle. And very few shows have been able to accomplish that. When you think of most TV shows, through the course of their run, they grow, they evolve. And in many cases, there's a lot of uh, growing pains early on until they find a groove and the show becomes what it becomes. So for a pilot to nail it right from the start 
is actually very, very remarkable. So I'm going to start with some pilots first. And I would like to start with the pilot for the Mary Tyler Moore Show. And it's so interesting because this came around 1970, and there are a number of interviews on YouTube with the creators, uh, Jim Brooks and Alan Burns, where they talk about the genesis of the Mary Tyler Moore pilot. And basically, in a nutshell, because you could do a half an hour just on this, but in a nutshell, the people who were running CBS hated the idea. Hated the idea. They wanted Brooks and Burns fired. They went back and they redid it and they came up with something else and the CBS guy still hated them. And the only one who really appreciated the pilot script and thought there was some merit to it was uh, a woman in casting named Ethel Winant. And she championed the show and helped them cast it. And, of course, the casting of the Mary Tyler Moore show is absolutely phenomenal, just top to bottom. So now they're filming this pilot. And uh, two days in, the director, Jay Sandrich, decides let's bring in an audience as kind of a dress rehearsal and give the cast a chance to hear where the laughs are and get used to holding for laughs. So that's what they did. But I don't know, bad audience, you know, bad moon rising. I don't know. It was a bomb. And and everyone was, needless to say, just panicked. And, of course, for the network, they just figured, yeah, well, of course. We told you it was a piece of shit. And um, Brooks and Burns didn't know really what to do other than making uh, a few small changes here and there. But basically what they then shot for the real audience that Friday night was very much that same show that laid such a colossal egg earlier in the week. And you know what? Friday night, same show, same material, same jokes, same actors. It went through the roof. It absolutely soared. And so that was the pilot. Okay, so they put the pilot together, and CBS still hates it. The guy in charge of programming named Mike Dan still hated the show. So he had to put it on the air, and he put it on like after Hee Haw, Tuesday night at 8.30, up against a top ten show where you know it was just going to get killed. And here's another improbable event. So CBS gets uh, a new president, Bob Wood, and he decides that we have to take the network in a different direction. At CBS had been way too rural, and they were looking for more urban, upscale viewers, better demographics, et cetera, et cetera. And they brought in uh, a guy named Fred Silverman to engineer this because they told uh, Mike Dan these were the marching orders. And he said, uh, you're making a big mistake. I don't want to do this. And they said, fine, don't. And Mike Dan left. So Fred Silverman comes in, and now they've already announced the schedule Schedule was announced like way back in February or March back then, and it is now August. And Fred Silverman is sitting in a screening room watching all of the pilots, 
and he sees the Mary Tyler Moore show. And when the lights go back on, he gets on the phone to New York to Bob Wood and said, you know the type of sophisticated, smart, urban shows you said we need to do on CBS? I have the perfect show. It's right here, but we can't keep it on Tuesday night. It's going to get killed. So even though we've done all of the advertising and we've printed out all this stuff and there's billboards, whatever, we need to change our schedule and put it on Saturday night at 9 o'clock where the correct audience will have a chance to sample and see the show. And God love him, Bob Wood did. I mean, just very, very unorthodox. So a lot of things had to fall into place for the Mary Tyler Moore show to survive. But the pilot itself really merited that and um, one of the great pilots in TV history. I would say the Cheers pilot would fall into that category, too. And, um, you know, I don't just say that because I helped work on it. But still, that was a, a beautiful pilot. Set up all of those characters, set up that bar, set up the Sam and Diane relationship, and found a very novel way of getting Diane Chambers, you talk about the ultimate fish out of water, to get Diane Chambers to come aboard and become a waitress at Cheers, you know, that takes some finagling, and the Charles brothers were able to do that beautifully. The Fraser pilot as well. And again, I worked on it, but still. Um, the Fraser pilot is is beautifully done, and what I love about the Fraser pilot, not only is it very funny, but there's a tremendous emotional scene between Kelsey Grammer and John Mahoney, where it was, you know, Frazier and his father, Martin, that really told you that, you know what, there's more to this show. There is some depth to this show. It is not just a, a sequel. Um, you know, it is of its own merit, and uh, it deserves to be viewed. It was stylized uh, and you look at the pilot of Frasier and then you look at the entire run of Frasier and that level of quality was maintained from the first episode to the last. Very, very difficult to do. We'll get back to more of my perfect shows in a moment, but first a word from my perfect sponsor, Honey. So why is it my perfect sponsor? Well, because it's free. Actually, it's even better than free. It saves you money. So what is Honey? Well, it is a free browser extension that scours the Internet for promo codes and applies the best ones to your cart. Here's how it works. You're shopping online. Uh, you reach the checkout page, and then the Honey button drops down, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. You wait a couple of seconds, it does its thing, and all of a sudden you're looking and click, 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 click. All of these uh, coupons come up, and you see your price go down and down and down and down. You wind up saving a lot of money. Did I mention it was free? I have used this. I uh, shopped for some wedding gifts this week, and I saved $21 with honey. Okay. 
If you don't already have honey, well, you could straight up be missing out on free savings. I'm telling you, it is literally free, and it installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you are doing yourself a favor and... You're supporting this podcast. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Levine. Once again, that's joinhoney.com slash Levine. Hollywood and Levine. Turning to drama, The West Wing Pilot, written by Aaron Sorkin, is phenomenal. And I don't want to spoil anything for you in case you haven't seen it yet. But, you know, when you introduce characters, you try to find a way to introduce them that is interesting and novel. And the way Aaron Sorkin introduces Martin Sheehan as the president of the United States, to me, is the best character entrance of any pilot I've ever seen. So check out West Wing. You know, and now that we have like a president again who actually cares about people and is actually trying to do good, it's okay to watch West Wing again without wanting to kill yourself. The Good Wife uh, is another great pilot by Robert and Michelle King, husband and wife team, uh, beautifully sets up that whole situation, um, the story and everything else. Um, A pilot that's not perfect but has a great scene is The Newsroom. Again, Aaron Sorkin. There's a scene early on where the lead character, played by Jeff Daniels, is speaking at some university and has this speech about why America is not the greatest country in the world and it's a pretty amazing speech yeah i mean it really elevates the the rest of the show you know it's a really funny pilot um and you don't hear that much about it go back and see the 30 rock pilot the tina fey road it's really good it's really funny uh it sets her up you introduce the characters very well um it's a good problem that they launch in the show uh i was very impressed with the 30 rock pilot mad men by matthew weiner now this is a pilot you know matt was on becker when he wrote that and and i read it and it was just a spec pilot you know and again you know i'm such a visionary i said you know, Matt, this is fantastic, but no one is ever going to do this. I mean, it's a period piece. It's advertising. Uh, you got your lead character having affairs. Um, you know, no one's getting shot. There's no lawyers. There's no doctors. Who's going to do this? Well, he found somebody to do it. Uh, the Sopranos is a remarkable pilot. The Sopranos changed television. It really did. I mean, The Sopranos on HBO really elevated the quality of one-hour dramas. And and it's interesting because David Chase, who wrote it, kind of considered it a dark comedy. But uh, if you haven't seen The Sopranos pilot, absolutely do that. I don't know where you'll find it, but it's somewhere The Shield. The Shield by Sean Ryan. 
um, a gritty, gritty cop show and a wallop of an ending. It's an absolute wallop. Um, Justified by Graham Yost from the Elmore Leonard book. That has just a fantastic first scene. You watch the first scene of Justified and you go, okay, I'm in. (laughs) I'm definitely in. Uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, Man, what what can you say about about Breaking Bad? Uh, It's my all-time favorite drama. And it starts right off with an, an interesting premise. And just the way they tell that story, the visuals and everything that happens right from the get-go um, draws you in. Taxi, uh, which was done by uh, Jim Brooks and Ed Weinberger, Dave Davis, um, somebody else. Uh, but the, the neat thing about Taxi... If you go back and you watch the taxi pilot, it's this. The pilot has to introduce all of these different characters, all of these cabbies that work at the Sunshine Cab Company. So you need kind of a device in order to do that. And what they set up was that there was a payphone in the garage that was broken and allowed you to make long-distance calls for free. And as each member of the cast was making a call, you knew what they were, who they were, and what their objective was. It was a, a very ingenious way of introducing all of the characters. And uh, the last pilot I'll talk about is Golden Girls by Susan Harris. Just great, just really funny. Four fantastic characters, immaculately cast. Um, What can I say about Golden Girls? You probably love Golden Girls as well. All right, so some episodes now of uh, television within the run. There was an episode of House that David Shore wrote. I think it is towards the end of the first season. And it's an episode where he, too, is teaching a class. He comes in as a guest lecturer and teaches a class. I don't remember that much about the episode other than the fact that there were flashbacks along the way. But it was riveting. There are a couple of episodes of MASH that I didn't write. I'll tell you a couple episodes of mine uh, at the end of the podcast, uh, episodes of mine and David Isaacs that uh, are my favorites. But in terms of overall, uh, an episode written by Larry Gelbart called The More I See You, which was from season four. And that's the one with Blythe Danner. It had kind of a Casablanca type of feel to it. Beautifully done. And then there was an episode either the very beginning of season three or season two called The General Flipped at Dawn. It was written by Everett Greenbaum and Jim Fritzell. And that's the one where Harry Morgan plays a different character. Harry Morgan plays this nutcase general. And it's an absurd story, probably a story that you couldn't do today. But, uh, 
It's really funny, and it comes from real life. It comes from research. So those would be the two episodes of MASH. You know, for Frasier, everybody says uh, the Matchmaker episode, which was very good, and everyone says the Ski Lodge episode was very good. My two favorites, however, are an episode called Ham Radio, where Frazier tries to organize a live radio drama killer episode. And then my other favorite happens to be one I directed called Roz and the Schnoz. Check that one out. There was an episode of Mad Men. I don't know the name of it, but I think it's called something briefcase or two briefcases. Uh, In any event, uh, Don Draper stays late with Peggy. And you learn an awful lot about those two characters. And there are many great episodes of Mad Men, but that one is my particular favorite. Dick Van Dyke Show. Uh, everyone thinks, well, okay, there's, you know, nine million Carl Reiner episodes to choose from. Yeah, but my favorite is uh, called Coast to Coast Big Mouth. And it was written by Sam Denoff and Bill Persky. And that is the episode where, uh, on a live TV show, Laura accidentally lets slip that Alan Brady wears a toupee. And the last scene of that episode is Laura coming to Alan Brady to apologize. It's one of the funniest scenes on television. For the Mary Tyler Moore Show, I got to go with Chuckles Bites the Dust. I mean, how, how can you not? For Cheers, an episode called Dinner at 8-ish, which is season three or four, and it was written by Thief Sutton. Just hilarious episode where Sam and Diane go to Frasier and Lilith for dinner. And then an episode I do not know the name of, but again, it'll be easy to look up on IMDb if you are so inclined. It's the episode with John Cleese. That was written by Peter Casey and David Lee. Now, there is an episode of CSI, I think it might have even been a two-parter, that Quentin Tarantino wrote and directed, where one of the characters is being buried alive. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It was just scary as hell. For Everybody Loves Raymond... Um, actually, I, I apologize. I don't know who wrote this episode. Um, but it's the episode where, uh, Deborah has PMS and, uh, they really went for it. I mean, Patty Heaton was just a complete bitch in that episode. It was so funny. And of course you understand why, but they really went for it. I'm going to go back now way back into time, and mentioned the Bob Newhart show. This is the original, the one where he was uh, a psychiatrist. And there's an episode where he gets a little drunk, he and Jerry and Howard, and they spend Thanksgiving together and order in Chinese food, Mugu Gai Pan. It's hilarious. It was written by Bruce Kane. Now I go way, way back to The Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason from the 50s. A couple of the uh, the classic 39 
episodes. The $99,000 answer that had a, a payoff when I was a kid, I did not see it coming. It's the biggest laugh I've ever gotten out of a television sitcom. Okay, I might have been 10, but still, it just killed me. And the Chef of the Future episode as well. Um, Sergeant Bilko, the Phil Silver Show, there was an episode, uh, I think it's called Private uh, Speak Up. It is the one where they try to draft a chimpanzee into the army, and the final scene is a court-martial scene where they're going to court-martial the chimp, and Bilko is his lawyer. It's incredibly funny. I showed that episode when I was teaching a lecture course at USC in comedy. I showed that episode to 115 millennials, and they loved it. They thought it was just amazing. I guess you got to go to I Love Lucy. And uh, for me, the uh, the funniest episodes were uh, the one where she's stomping on the grapes and uh, the one with William Holden where she's basically setting her nose on fire. And what to me was so incredible about that episode was Bill Holden because he is leaning over a booth watching this. And it is hysterical i defy you not to laugh at what she is doing and yet somehow he never breaks character so those would be my lucy episodes and uh let's see breaking bad well there was an episode very late in the um in the run where basically they're trying to hijack fuel from a train and uh that episode was amazing and then another episode which is a bottle episode what is a bottle episode that is when you try to confine the show to like one location to save money and you usually have a bottle show if you have other episodes that go over budget or you're going to have a big chase scene uh, you want to have an explosion you want to have a helicopter that sort of thing it's going to be way over budget well to compensate you're going to have a show that all takes place in one room and that's what they did with this show and it's called the fly and it was the one where uh, Walter and Jesse are in the um, their lab, their basement lab, and they're they're making meth. And there is a fly, and Walter White hasn't slept in a long time and is feeling kind of goofy. And there are a couple of secrets that he could reveal, and if he does. Uh, it's going to be explosive. So uh, the tension in that episode, and again, it was all set just in this lab. The fly episode of Breaking Bad would be my favorite. Although, oh my God, there's so many great episodes and so many great individual scenes. But in terms of overall episode, that would be the one. And finally, for All in the Family... Uh, I would say the Sammy Davis Jr. episode, one where Sammy Davis Jr. guests and um, says uh, says word on television that you can't say on television 
anymore. This was also an episode that I showed to my class at USC, and they were just gobsmacked. They just couldn't believe that you could get away with this in 1971 or 1972, whenever it aired. So uh, that's all in the family. Now, uh, perfect final episodes. And there are very few of these because if you have a big hit show and you're going to have your big finale, networks can charge Super Bowl-type prices because you're going to get such a huge audience, okay? Uh, There are a lot of Super Bowls that have not gotten higher ratings than the final episode of M.A.S.H., which drew 120 million people. Just think about that, 120 million people. A few months ago on Saturday night primetime, the four networks combined got 8 million people. That's the four networks combined. And 120 million people watched this one episode. 84 million people watched the finale of Cheers. So networks can make an awful lot of money off of these shows. So they ask that they be elongated. And usually when you do that, it hurts the show. And uh, again, I will be very honest and say I didn't think that the final episode of MASH was its best work. Um, I think the final episode of Cheers, although it has a lot of good elements in it, was not its finest hour. I thought it was too long. Uh, Same thing with Frasier, same thing with Friends. Um, Certainly the same thing with with Seinfeld. So I I think shows really get hurt when when they do that. Um, Final episodes of shows that managed to just be a half an hour that I thought were perfect. Again, the Mary Tyler Moore show. Beautiful ending, very funny, very touching. Um, The other half hour that I would put in that category is Everybody Loves Raymond because it was just a little bit more than a final episode. But I love the fact that it ends with everybody sitting around the table, having dinner, talking. In other words, these lives are going to go on. Um, Finales that I thought worked in terms of drama, you look at it now and it's probably a little bit cheesy, but the fugitive. And here's an example. You probably know the premise of the fugitive, okay? It's uh, David Jansen and he was a doctor and he was falsely accused of murdering his wife. He saw a one-armed man leave the house. No one believed him. He was sentenced to death. On his way to prison, there was a train wreck, and he managed to escape. And so for the rest of the series, he's basically looking for the one-armed man going around the country and also evading um, uh, Lieutenant Gerard, who is trying to capture him. And so they wanted to do a final episode when they knew that this was going to be the end of the series. And ABC said, no, you, you can't do that. 
Why not? Well, you're going to hurt syndication. And Quinn Martin, who was the producer of the show, it was his company, said, you got to have an ending. <laughs> We've been doing this now for four years, five years, whatever it was. They're making 39 episodes a season back then. You got to have some kind of, of a conclusion to this. And ABC said no. And Quinn Martin said, I'll pay for it myself. I don't care. And they did. They made this episode, and it was huge. It got enormous ratings that was only topped by MASH years and years later. But this was like 1966, 1967, and it just got phenomenal ratings. So uh, The Fugitive, and it was a satisfying ending. Uh, It was. There's um, a show out of England It's available on one of the streaming services called Hustle. And it's a very slick, sophisticated show about these con artists that have these long cons. And they're very ingenious where they'll steal the crown jewels, that type of thing. Um, These are elaborate uh, all of the sting, all of the movie of the sting. And Robert Vaughn is in it as well. And so you figure every week they do these amazing con artist shows. What could they possibly do for a finale that tops what they do? And they did. They found a way to do it. No spoiler alert. You're going to have to see for yourself. Justified. I said they had a great pilot. They also had a great finale. And it's one of those things where all of the character stories and everything was wrapped up in a way that was somewhat surprising, but it certainly made sense and everything was really satisfying. And it's hard to do a final episode. Ask the producers of Lost. You know, when you just set up mystery after mystery after mystery, you're kicking the can down the road and eventually you got to give the answers. And in the case of Lost, there were so many questions. It was so Byzantine that by the time they got to the end, uh, it it just didn't work at all. Uh, the Shield had a, a great ending as well. A very surprising ending, but you go, oh, okay, all right, I buy that. Didn't see it coming, but I buy that as well. Okay, so those are final shows. Um, oh, also, I guess Newhart, the uh, second version of Newhart, where um, he wakes up as the character that he played in the original Bob Newhart show, and you learn that the whole Newhart series was just a dream. And um, that was a a very clever idea. And Bob Newhart says his wife Ginny came up with it, and that's not true. A writer named Dan O'Shannon came up with that. Okay, finally, let me talk about a few episodes uh, from Levine and Isaacs that I think are our best if you want to do a best of Levine and Isaacs festival go right ahead Um, for Frasier an episode called room service 
which is the one where Niles sleeps with Lilith. Um, three episodes from Cheers, Any Friend of Diane's from the first season, To All the Girls I've Loved Before, which is probably season six or seven, maybe even season five. Here's what I love about that, and I might have mentioned this before, but David and I had an idea, and we went into Glenn and Les Charles, and we pitched this. And usually you pitch an idea, and you'll break the story, and you'll work it out scene by scene, and then the writer will go off and compose a 10 to 15-page outline. He'll get notes on the outline and then go off and write the draft. And we went to the Charles brothers and said, you know, we want to do something very different. We want to just be able to riff and let the show go wherever it wants to go. It's set in a bar, so we want to do a lot of bar talk. And all we came in with was it's Frazier's bachelor party and he's having second doubts. And by the end of the show, he decides to go through with it. That's it. That's all we had. And by that point, uh, David and I had already written, gee, probably 20, 25 episodes of Cheers. So they trusted us and they said, okay, go ahead, do it. And we did. And it was very liberating. It was a lot of fun. And so that was an episode that I take particular pride in. And the uh, final episode that we wrote that I love is called Rat Girl from one of the later seasons. We won the Writers Guild Award for that one, beating out an episode of Seinfeld. And Larry David, to this day, uh, lets me know about it every time I see him. For MASH, I have two. Our very first episode, Out of Sight, Out of Mind. Um, I think it came out great. Gene Reynolds directed it. Alan Alda has like an incredible speech. And it launched our careers. So I have a particular fondness for that episode. Uh, Also, the Point of View episode that we wrote, which is the uh, POV of a soldier. So it begins where you're in the field and you get hit. And you go by helicopter to the 4077, and you experience what it is like for a patient, where you're in surgery and post-op and etc. So um, those would be my favorite episodes there. And my final favorite episode is our first episode of The Simpsons, Dancing Homer, that we wrote uh, very early in the run. It's now on season. 411, but this was, I think, season two, and uh, it's the one where uh, he becomes, Homer becomes a a mascot of the minor league team, the Springfield Isotopes, and it was really cool for me because, number one, I got to play the voice of the Isotopes announcer, Topes Lose, Topes Lose. I also, as an amateur cartoonist, um, got to design the character of the Capital City goofball we had a tony bennett sung song in it and it dealt with baseball so i got a lot of inside jokes um from the minor leagues and and that sort of thing so um that is one of my favorite episodes as well so there you go 
And like I said, you could do this podcast next week and have 37 other shows that are different. And I would go, yep, okay, yeah, I'd put that on my list too. Mm-hmm. That's certainly worthy. Uh, you might also listen to this list and go, oh, are you kidding? Coast to Coast Big Mouth sucked. But probably you won't. So those are some shows to uh, watch. Uh, as you wait to get vaccinated, and if you get a chance to get vaccinated, do it. Take the opportunity and do it. And that will do it for this week of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce, and Jason Miller. Like I said at the beginning, if you have a question or you want to reach me for any reason, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. I can uh, also be found on Twitter, at Ken Levine, Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Please subscribe. I could always use a a nice five-star review in iTunes. And um, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine.